This is the ICO Alert Podcast, Episode 20. I'm your host, Robert Finch, founder of ICO Alert. ICO Alert maintains the only comprehensive list of every single initial coin offering. That includes all of the active ICOs that are happening now, as well as all of the upcoming ICOs. You can check out the full list on our website at icoalert.com. My guests today are Dustin Byington, the president of Wanchain. We have Min Kim, the co-founder of Icon, and Matthew Spoke, the founder of Aeon. Now on the show, we'll talk about the Blockchain Interoperability Alliance, why these three projects feel so strongly about interoperability to start this alliance, how the blockchain landscape might look in the future, and more. Without further ado, let's get to it. Guys, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. It's it's great to have you all here, and it's it's a pretty exciting time. You guys just announced recently the Blockchain Interoperability Alliance, which I want to touch on first, but very quickly, um, Dustin, could you explain what interoperability is and how it relates to the blockchain space? Sure. Interoperability stems from one of the fundamental problems that the space currently faces, which is that uh, assets and information are currently siloed on their respective blockchains. Um, this sort of echoes some of the early days of the intranet um, before the public internet was created and allowed for the free flow of information um, from, you know, networks around the world. Um, Today, currently, a lot of that information, those assets are isolated on uh, respective chains. And um, this is a a mission of all three of our respective networks. And um, we feel like it's, uh, you know, it's interoperability is a very important problem for the industry to solve. Awesome. That's great. So basically, interoperability is just a kind of a term that allows blockchains to communicate with each other? Yes. Perfect. That's great. So, um, Min, what is the Blockchain Interoperability Alliance? What are you guys forming here? That's a great question. So just to give you, take a step back uh, to give you a story. So Matt and I, we've been uh, in contact with each other, each other for the past uh, couple of years, and we met Dustin in Shanghai conference, and we've been traveling together around the world doing conferences, and you know we all sort of face the same problem uh, and trying to uh, solve the same same problem when it comes to interoperability. So uh, that's where we sort of came together and decided to hey. Uh, you're, you're, you're facing the problem, we're facing the problem here, so let's uh, try to tackle this problem together. Um, so it sort of kind of naturally uh, evolved from the discussions that we've been having. Um, and to kind of talk, jump a little bit more uh, into the subject, I guess, we could, you know, kind of interoperability is sort of a natural evolution of, uh, you know, the problems that, we, that already exist today. So, for example, for us, we've already have actual clients. We've been implementing our blockchain, and uh, we already talk about these independent blockchains already talking to each other. And then we already talk about these blockchains talking to other blockchains like Aeon. So these are the discussions that we're already having. 
Awesome. That's great. And Matthew, maybe you could go into a little more detail uh, for us on, you know, what your main mission statement for the Blockchain Interoperability Alliance is. Like, are you guys just kind of working together and combining your three platforms to make them interoperable? Or is the is the vision broader here where you want to make all blockchains interoperable with each other? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's definitely broader. Um, you know, what we realized is there's a common set of problems at the infrastructure layer that, that we're trying to solve with interoperability, but it can be applied in a lot of different use cases. So, you know, WAN chain's a good example, focusing very much on like the digital asset space, looking at how do you move asset value from chain to chain using the WAN chain protocol. So really, really cool use case for, for you know, for traders and asset managers and that type of thing. But there's also like a more generic use of interoperability around um, just data that happens to be stored inside of a blockchain. So you can think of like, a smart contract on Ethereum, storing information relevant to somebody's identity or storing information relevant to, to whatever the case might be. There, you know, a crypto kitty as an example, right? Um, and and now that the logic of that application and the inputs and the outputs of that application are always locked on the network that they come from, right? So, you know, you run an, an Ethereum application as an example, the inputs are from the Ethereum chain, the outputs are in the Ethereum chain and the logic happens in the Ethereum virtual machine. What we're trying to generically define as a group regardless of the use case, because we all have different use cases and different markets we're approaching, is what's the common way that we can we can create this like cross-chain protocol uh, so that we're, we're not like competing on protocol. Uh, right now, the way we see it and the reason we were able to come together so, uh, you know, in such a friendly way is that we're actually all competing for market growth rather than for market share. Like we're not looking at, hey, how do we take clients from each other? We're looking at how do we multiply the blockchain industry by 100 or 1,000x? Uh, and, and that's why there's a lot of, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, best practices that have yet to emerge in terms of like what's the most efficient and effective way to prove things across chains. So, you know, we look at these things as being just very generic events. Something happened on a chain and you want to validate that that thing has happened on another chain. How do you do that today? Very inefficiently. And, and in fact, the irony of our industry is we created these like decentralized technologies that very heavily rely on centralized intermediaries. And, and in, for the right. most case, those are exchanges, right? Exchanges that sit at the intersection of all these networks. Um, and, and as we go, as we move forward, we're saying, well, you know, we're, we're at less than 1% adoption, probably dramatically less than 1% adoption of this technology. What's the missing layer of infrastructure for us to get to like changing the world the way we all think this will? Interoperability is like one of the next major milestones of infrastructure that we all agree needs to be solved. Awesome. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And it's interesting, you know, a lot of points you bring up about internet in the early days and, and how, um, you know, after DARPANET kind of spearheaded that initiative, then we had all these different intranets at different universities that kind of all had their own data, but were never really talking to each other. And that's very much the case with, with the blockchain space today. And and like you said, it, it being, you know, in the very, very early stages of adoption is also true. I think uh, an estimate I read last week said that only 0.1% of people in the world actually own any cryptocurrency. So we're still very, very early days when it comes to this. And now is definitely the time to to be talking about really important topics like interoperability. So this is a uh, very very cool. Um, you know, when it comes to to some specific use cases for interoperability, one of the main questions I see with our community, you know, when I go in and look in you know subreddits about interoperability or whatever the case may be, people seem to think that the only reason a blockchain needs to be interoperable with another blockchain is so that you can essentially you know, swap tokens, do an atomic swap, I can swap my Litecoin for Bitcoin without actually going to an exchange. And that's really the main use case we see around. But I know the use cases are far, far broader than that. Could uh, Dustin, maybe you could go into detail a little bit on, on some of those other use cases. 
You know, I'll punt this over uh, to Minner Matthew because Wanchin is, is very focused on the, the swapping of assets, and I think that they can probably add a little bit better color into some of the, the more specific and broader use cases. Well, maybe, okay, maybe D- Dustin, before you pass it on, maybe maybe you can elaborate a little bit on the fact that, you know, there's something specific about the Wanchin design that does not use atomic swaps to kind of solve for the same problem. Because I, I know that that's something that you regularly emphasize, right? Yeah, yeah. So I guess, uh, sure, happy to dive in there. Uh, so uh, instead of using atomic swaps, uh, WanChain uses something called multi-party compute, uh, which is a way of giving a group of validators who have an economic incentive to behave honestly access to public uh, to private keys. Um, and so with this group of validators, what they can do is they can they can manage these private keys and they can lock them on one chain. And then uh, and so they can lock coins effectively on like an ETH coin or a different protocol token like a Monero or a Dogecoin or a Litecoin. They can be locked on their respective chains and then new coins can be minted on one chain. You can call these new toy coins like proxy tokens or they act kind of like casino chips. You know, you go to a casino, you give them a hundred and they give you a chip for $100, and then you can go move that chip around, um, and then you can go and take that chip and hand it back to the casino, and then they give you $100 back, or you know maybe you've multiplied it, or maybe you don't have any chips left, you know. So, um, <laughs> so then, so then, um, and so that's what Wanchain does is it's kind of like um, you can deposit, you can deposit all of these different. Uh, it's one block chain that's capable of holding the world's digital assets. Um, and then once you have all the assets on one chain, decentralized exchanges can be coded up with just smart contracts. Awesome. That's a that's a great answer. And, you know, it, it also kind of goes into more depth on on that problem of, you know, just swapping assets where I think you guys are taking it a step further. And it's pretty interesting rather than, you know, just swapping from Litecoin to Bitcoin and, and then the thing being done. I mean, the, the concept of having one chain where all of the digital assets or the digital asset proxies live is, is very, very cool. So that that's awesome to see. Um, Min or, or Matthew, did you want to talk uh, maybe about some other use cases of, of this technology? Sure. I'll jump right in and I'll talk about... Um, so, for example, uh, if you go on my Twitter today, you'll be able to see some of the experiments that we're doing with the university blockchain that we've been implementing. The project is called Ucoin. We essentially created a crypto vending machine on campus, and this is a chain that's been that's going to be running on top of uh, the Icon network or our own independent blockchain. Uh, so this is a separate chain from a, for example, another blockchain uh, implementation that we're doing with hospitals. And hospitals essentially uh, are going to be running on another blockchain, separate blockchain, but they're going to have their perhaps their own cryptocurrencies that we're going to give them, assign to them. And um, the research facilities, for example, like you hear a lot about healthcare data, how healthcare data could be soft, used, sold um, to other uh, blockchains and university might be a very good example of how it could purchase hospital for uh, university research or healthcare research. And some of the U-coins being able to use for the hospitals being paid uh, through our network, ICON network, is... Uh, you know, it's a potential realistic use case that we're, we're, you know, because we are actually working with hospitals, we are working with universities. But all of this is going to be running on the ICON network, so it will be uh, a little bit easier than, for example, for us connecting to the, the Aon's client. So Aon has, you know, they have their own respective projects, they have their own respective 
um, you know, blockchain implementations that's happening in the future. If Aon has their clients with their hospitals, with their universities, they could connect to our, you know, network as well and, you know, facilitate that uh, data transfer and payments between our networks. Oh, awesome. That's great. And, and Matthew, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I can give you maybe a, a specific example that, that I use kind of as an illustration because we we sure. start we started our business in kind of the enterprise side of the market, not not too dissimilar from Icon and the the looped project that Icon that started with a couple of years ago. Um, you know, so we were working on how do you build decentralized networks for institutional use for governments and and enterprises essentially. Uh, you know, and, and if I if I just kind of pick on three industries because what what we found a lot in the enterprise market is people were looking at this as a technology that would be kind of insular to one industry. You know, how do I create like a supply chain network or how do I create a payment settlement system or, or a healthcare network? Um, and that, that's cool. I mean, I think there's, there's like some efficiencies to be gained there. It's the reason that the enterprise market is paying attention. But I don't think it's all that transformative if you look at it only as that. You know, where we started focusing is, is really what's the intersection of these networks and, and what's the use case from like a, a, a person's perspective, you know? So, so as an illustration, imagine that we have uh, a network of hospitals that are managing like access to patient records on a private network that's restricted to, you know, authorized users, authorized users being like doctors and, and medical facilities. Uh, so, so when I, you know, if I were to get some sort of medical procedure done, you could imagine that that might be triggered as like a quote unquote transaction on this medical network uh, so that everybody's always looking at like a common view of my medical files. Um, so that, that's an interesting use case. But what's more interesting is that if I can get that medical update to automatically trigger the verification of my insurance policy. But my insurance policy might be on a different network. It might be, you know, a public insurance contract built on the Ethereum network that, that kind of governs the rules of my insurance premiums and my insurance policy coverage. Um, and then if I have coverage for whatever my medical file just did, you know, I got an operation or whatever, and my insurance policy verifies that I have coverage, then it might send a message to a payment system. And that might be a payment system that's, that's you know, a closed network of banks that, that are transacting in U.S. dollars, or it might be the Bitcoin network. You know, who, who knows where we're going to be transacting in the, in the future. But right. all of a sudden, you can imagine that there's a use case of, like, I got a medical procedure done, my insurance was verified, and a payment was made. The way adoption seems to be happening across these industries is that there's different protocols, some private enterprise protocols and some public protocols that are being used for all these various use cases. So we we kind of stopped and said, well, maybe the reality is that we may not have like a single public protocol that rules them all. We're going to have this like fragmented system of like some people building with IBM on Hyperledger, some people building with Ethereum, some people building on, on customized networks that they build. And we really need a, me a mechanism for messages to flow back and forth between these networks. Uh, and that's where we see kind of a, a you know, a decentralized cross-chain communication protocol being necessary so that the, the the triggering of these events can actually be like witnessed across multiple chains awesome that's a you know a pretty great use case with with insurance so is that something right now with you know the state of these fragmented blockchains that would just not be possible since they can't communicate with each other well, yeah, I mean, if, if you were to try to run that today, for, for one, I mean, the enterprise market needs a lot more time to get to a point of, like, mature use of these networks. So that's why, you know, it's, it's obvious to people when we say interoperability, they're talking about token swaps, because that's where the use cases are, right? Everybody talks about what's right. the, ki the killer apps, in fact, are just the tokens today, right? Like, But those the apps are evolving. You're seeing a lot of good reasons for a lot of industries to think about this as like the next layer of infrastructure they're going to build on. But if you wanted to jump from one network to another today, you'd have to reinstitute an intermediary between those networks. And then we start, you know, 
you know, bringing in new layers of intermediaries and frictions that we're trying to avoid. So um, we, we realized that if we had all these multiple chains, both public and private chains that needed to coexist, there, in fact, does need to be an intermediary between these chains. But in this design, the intermediary is a decentralized network. So you can start flowing, like, verifications of transactions through an, for, through an intermediary blockchain. Um, and, like, part of our philosophy with Aon is that, you know, what we, we, we kind of broadly say all chains are created equal, meaning whether it flows through the Aon chain specifically or it flows through another chain using a common communication standard doesn't really matter. You're going to have transactions kind of flowing in multiple different ways. What we're really focused on is how do we make sure that the way transactions flow and the way messages flow is becoming common and becoming standardized. Uh, and that's where, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity for three projects like us, like WANChain and Icon and us, to just start focusing on, like, what's that commonality between chains. Absolutely. And is that something that, that any of you have kind of come to a resolution or, or some kind of agreement on, on, on these communication standards? Because, you know, it is a very interesting point. In order for something like this Blockchain Interoperability Alliance to really work and to, to have an impact on the space, um, you guys have to either create standards or, or help, you know, existing standards be adopted by these other blockchains. So what, what's kind of the status on those, those standards at the moment? And uh, any of you can answer this, whoever, whoever thinks they can uh, answer it the best. So I'll step in, I'll say, so right now we're at a very, very, very early stages of discussion. So both Matt and Dustin are busy with their respective project. We are extremely busy with our uh, with our mainnet launch, with our community building, with hiring. So in the next couple of quarters, we're going to be uh, super busy doing, uh, you know, what we're supposed to do, is, which is delivering our product to our community. Uh, but we wanted to announce this uh, interoperability alliance to the public because we get we you know we get a lot of questions about like do we like how do you guys compete against Aon? How do you guys compete against launching? How are you guys different? I mean these are kind of the questions um, that our community are asking us and we want to communicate back to them saying, you know, we really are not at this moment competing against each other, we, we have a lot to benefit by working together. So we just wanted to get the message out to them uh, early on. Uh, so, so the standards that you mentioned, a lot of the, um, you know, kind of the work process, the execution calendar, the strategic plans, all that, all, the, all of that, including the working group, has to be laid out. Uh, and these are the stuff that we're going to be working on for the next couple of uh, quarters. Awesome. That's great. And, and do you guys have any kind of roadmap as this alliance on, on when some of these things will, will come out? Or is this kind of just a rough, rough development roadmap at the moment? I think that for the, we all are kind of sprinting towards our mainnet launches, and this alliance isn't going to impact any of the, the technological specifications for our, uh, our specific chains uh, and our short-term roadmaps. Uh, where I think what will happen, I guess, is about Q1, after we've all got our initial mainnet launch out, then we start connecting our technical teams and start uh, sharing best practices and resources. And then we start, you know, kind of opening up our, our different uh, protocols so we can ensure one of the goals is that none of us get too far down a rabbit hole uh, and then look around and say, oh, wow, my chain isn't going to be able to talk to any of these other chains. Right. And so we just want to, like, you know, we want to start this is big processes, like Min said, 
you know, one is starting to communicate our vision to the community, um, and two is, you know, very as early as is reasonable um, and that aligns with our uh, individual uh, goals and timelines is to start, you know, then start sharing each other's protocols and start looking at, hey, how can we make sure that we can make this as seamless as possible and, and reasonable timelines. Awesome. I think there's going to be like some opportunity for some really cool early experiments. Like, you know, I look at Wanchain as like a great place where we would love to see the Aeon coin trading on a proxy on the Wanchain network. And I, 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 you know, those types of like one-to-one experiments just for us to have exposure to each other's protocols and have our team work off the Wanchain protocol for a particular use case and vice versa and have us work with, you know, with, with Icon's team on like a particular enterprise use case on how can we connect kind of data flows across two different networks that are either powered by Icon or powered by Aeon. Um, you know, one these these one-off experiments are going to allow us to get become familiar with each other's approaches, uh, and then we'll we'll have kind of the, the basis of starting to to talk about standardization. Awesome, that's great. And and you know, when people hear the the word alliance in the crypto space now, they obviously the first thing they think about is the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, which is you know a group of these huge enterprise companies, whether it's Mastercard or, or some other massive company, Microsoft that. Um, I believe has joined the alliance, and they're really working on a private version of Ethereum, not the actual public Ethereum blockchain. Um, but my point in in bringing up that alliance is that you know they they continue to add to the members of the alliance to really really bring their goals to fruition. Is that something that you guys plan to do with the Blockchain Interoperability Alliance, where you know you plan to continually add more and more people to this to this alliance? And maybe I'll maybe I'll jump in real quick just because I'm I'm actually on the board of directors of the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance. Um, oh, amazing! <laughs> so it, you know I've got some context on, on that side as well. That's something that we've been working on for a number of years. And I I think the difference is that the 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 vast majority of the EEA's membership comes from companies that are are just trying to follow the work and standardization that's being done by like a few projects. Um, you know, so I, I would I would characterize it as kind of like the majority being like an observer group. Um, and tr- we're trying to encourage more participation and active involvement from these members. I think, uh, you know, I'll speak for myself, at least when it comes to the Interoperability Alliance, we, we're open and in fact, really eager to get other people to participate. We just wanna make sure that participation comes as like, with motivated by like a, a desire to actually be active, not just to be involved in something for the purpose of a press release or just to watch what the work that we're doing for the benefits of others. So we would absolutely welcome projects in that want to bring something to the table and, and be kind of substantive uh, in our discussions. Awesome. That's great. And it'll be very cool, you know, once some of these communication standards are developed and, and once you guys do some of these one-on-one experiments to to really see, you know, who else takes an interest in this and, and who else ends up joining this alliance. Because I think, you know, this is probably, other than, you know, scalability, I think interoperability is probably the biggest um, challenge that the cryptocurrency space is, is facing at the moment. Um, and, you know, being able to, to kind of disintermediate it and remove, you know, these centralized exchanges and, and put in these other um, almost infrastructure layers is, is definitely the right step forward and, and something I think we need for the future. So um, props to, to all of you for, for being a part of this and kind of spearheading this initiative. It's, it's very cool to see. Um, what I want to do now is just kind of have you all run through, you know, uh, an explanation of, of what your individual platform is and kind of how you see it um, being a part of this this greater blockchain interoperability alliance. So, Dustin, you know, you talked a little bit about um, Wanchain. Could you, you know, go into a little more detail on on what it is and how it works and and how you see it fitting into this overall vision? 
Sure, yeah. So uh, I give you a little bit of background on multi-party compute, uh, which is our unique contribution to the space. And uh, it, some other information that's relevant is that uh, we are a uh, protocol. We're a fork of Ethereum. And uh, our mainnet launch coming up next month uh, will be a fork of Ethereum with uh, Monero-style ring signatures. So we see, we see privacy as a fundamental building block of the financial services industry. Uh, when we talk to asset managers and um, all sorts of other clients in that, in that vertical, if you, if you tell them that all of their trades and all of their in account information is going to be totally public, it's a complete deal breaker. I mean, no matter what you say in that room, the answer is no. And so, right. um, and th- now that's not necessarily true. There are certain use cases um, related to, uh, uh, you know, government applications or, you know, charitable applications where you want full transparency. But the ba- vast majority of use cases in financial services and beyond uh, really uh, depend upon some fundamental uh, level of privacy. Um, and so, from that, that's from that perspective, we decided to go with uh, Monero-style ring signatures of one-time accounts. Uh, we're also looking at CK snarks, so we can implement those later. But um, the ring signatures seem to be a better fit for a few different reasons. For I'm um, out the gate. Uh, the, one of the big difference, though, with uh, you know how we're thinking about uh, privacy is that you know financial privacy is very different from trying to hide something. And um, and so we're not, uh, you know, we don't seek to be, you know, like, you know, the chain that's used for the dark web and, you know, th- right. things like that. So, um, you know, but we do, you know, it is a, it is a, one of the, you know, core uh, pillars here that we're building off of. Um, in Q2 or Q3 is when we start to get down to uh, what we'll start. Uh, the first chain we'll be integrating with is Ethereum. Uh, we're big fans of Ethereum and you know, definitely part of that community and seek to support them. Uh, we raised all of our funds in ETH and still hold on to those. Um, so we're, uh, we're uh, very tight with that group. And um, so we'll be anchoring into Ethereum and pulling over ETH as well as the ERC-20 tokens into, into WAN chain. Um, thereafter, we'll be uh, syncing up with Bitcoin. And then uh, from there, the idea is that once we have kind of this, this the way that we're using multi-party compute to be able to pull digital assets in from other chains is very unique. No one's ever done this before, uh, and it's gonna, you know, we're still. It's gonna take us till probably Q2 or through Q3 to really iron it out to harden the system. I mean, uh, these things are digital cash, so it's it's very very important that these things are these systems are extremely secure. Security and trust are of the utmost importance. Uh, so we'll be uh, you know, but once we once we roll this out with ETH and with Bitcoin, uh, then we'll have this process down, and then we're hoping that in 2019 we'll be able to pull in many many coins, uh, you know, like, like Aeon and Icons and so forth. And and, um, and so the way, the, one of the ways that we are thinking about this alliance is that uh, once we have all, WAN chain is kind of, you can think of it like a, um, you know, the world's digital bank. And so once we have all of these assets onto this one chain, uh, then it can be very useful for these other chains to use us to, for, as like a liquidity provider. Um, and so if we're anchoring with Aon and Icon and they've got their consortium chains that are trading around these IOUs or these information, every once in a while they can sync up with WAN chain and then use that to access liquidity or to exchange their IOUs for you know, actual Bitcoin or other digital assets. 
Awesome. Yeah, that, that's great. There's a, a lot of use cases in there. And I think, you know, just to, to pull out an interesting tangent from what you said about, about privacy is, you know, a lot of people, you know, to your point, when uh, you say, oh, this chain is private or, or totally anonymous, they, they automatically assume that you're, you're either doing something illegal or trying to evade taxes or whatever the case may be. And that's kind of uh, the thought with privacy in general in today's world. And it would be very cool, you know, whether it's through this alliance or, or through, you know, just a, a change in sentiment about privacy, where people don't look at privacy as necessarily trying to hide something, but more just a, a, that everybody kind of deserves their, their own privacy and can kind of choose what information they want to share. So it's very cool to see. Um, Min Kim, similarly, you know, how is Icon, um, how, how does Icon work? What, what are your main use cases and, and how do you kind of see that um, tying into the rest of this alliance? Sure. So the Icon project, uh, before even we were called the Icon project, we started off about two years ago as an enterprise blockchain company called The Loop. So The Loop is a uh, a company that was incubated within Daily Financial Group, which is like a larger, one of the largest fintech companies in South Korea. So right off the bat, we decided to build our own blockchain from scratch. Uh, we use Python, we use Java, and we, uh, we've been trying to compete against, uh, you know, Hyperledger or R3 uh, in, in this space. So the uh, blockchain technology that we develop has been uh, is a one of the very few open source projects that is supported by one of the government arms of South Korea, a technology wow. arm. Um, they've helped fund some of the projects uh, that we're doing, and uh, which has been great because you know, as you know. Uh, a lot of money has to be invested into, you know, continual development of this technology. And there will be more and more uh, investment that will have to go in uh, in the foreseeable future. So, uh, you know, having, you know, government as a partner to fund some of that has been like really, uh, you know, really good for us. Also, uh, yeah. I mean, so we built this technology, and you know, we're, we we don't we don't really focus on the technology side too much. I mean, we're not too different from what's already out there. Um, you know, we do multi-channeling. We uh, some of the things that we do differently might be we made our architecture more modular, so that we could kind of switch out consensus algorithms or you know the what we call smart smart contract versioning. Um, you know, if you have an older version, you can replace it with a newer version more easily. So some some of the features that we provide are is more seamless. I would like to say. Um, so the technology-wise, we've continued to build, and we want to try to differentiate to make it more easier to use for uh, the development community and things like that. Uh, but you know, aside from the technology, the thing that we're more focused on is building out the network. And things I like to say is that uh, the power of the blockchain is in the network, not in the technology. So the bigger the network that we bring in, more participants come in. You could say that the, the blockchain uh, uh, network value increases. So right now in Korea, we're leading five consortiums. So the first one is called uh, Financial Investment Consortium, Korean Financial Investment a Blockchain Consortium, uh, led by uh, one of the Security Association. Association. We have 25 securities firms as members of this blockchain, and we actually launched the very first commercial version of our blockchain in South Korea in October 31st. Wow. So there's actually a commercial, a live version that is operating uh, right now. 
And uh, the first use case that came out was KYC AML, uh, you know, uh, uh, product. And uh, just to give you an example, the uh, if you in Korea right now, if you want to open a brokerage account, you have to walk into one security office branch and you have to sign a bunch of papers, show them your ID and get verified before, you know, uh, depositing your money and start trading uh, securities. And then if you want to open another securities account at another brokerage, you have to go through that process all over again. And it is very tedious and you don't want to do that. And all of this your private keychain is uh, shared or controlled by one entity, which is another government arm that sort of controls all the private keys uh, in this financial securities industry. Wow. And every time you want to use it, you have to register that key to the uh, this, this entity of the government. Uh, so we're removing uh, the middleman, the government, and we're allowing private keys to be shared amongst the, the members of this. So right now we have 11 live securities firms sharing the blockchain, all the KYC information, and we're slowly expanding that to all the members of the securities uh, you know, brokerages in South Korea, so 25. We are already talking about expanding this um, you know, I, you know, verification process to other industries as well, so you know, more interesting stuff might come out from this. The other... Awesome. Uh, use cases, the other, uh, you know, the blockchain, uh, you know, the uh, products that we're leading, consortiums that we're leading include universities. So we're working with three universities. That's another blockchain that I just covered. Uh, talked briefly about this project called Ucoin. Uh, so we're trying to figure out how to implement some of the cryptocurrencies in the uh, on the campuses, uh, creating digital wallets uh, that would track uh, government grants, your scholarships uh, for students, for faculty members, so on and so forth. So we are creating a new blockchain just for that purpose. Uh, we have another project with six hospitals, uh, you know, a couple of banks and uh, insurance companies. So That's great. Yeah, it sounds uh, like you guys are partnering with a lot of people and definitely, you know, getting the, the word out about Icon in a lot of different places. Um, when it comes to the, the government in South Korea, um, if right now they're kind of this intermediary, why would they why would they want to fund Icon if you're kind of disintermediating them in a way? What do you think their goal with, with helping fund you guys is? So, you know, when, when I say government, government is like a very broad term, you know, just within the government, there are I know so many different departments and branches right. at different levels. Uh, so we're working with one specific branch uh, called NIPS, where they deal with uh, new technology and they support open source projects and to allow you know a healthy ecosystem. Because Korea is not really well known for uh, creating open source software environments. Uh, this is something that other countries like the U.S. is more used to through different type of projects. In Korea, you're you know. It's been a very, very close system. So Korea has been trying to uh, incentivize c companies to open, you know, to create open source projects that would benefit society. So we're part of that one small branch, and you know, whatever the other parts of the government do, uh, you know, it, they, you know, government branches don't communicate very well. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, that's very cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great answer, and, and thank you for clarifying that, um, Matthew. To to move on to you, how does how does Aon play into this, and and what is Aon specifically? 
Um, so yeah, Aeon's, Aeon's protocols are kind of two major focuses, I'd say, when we, when we started designing. One was focused on the recognition of events across chains, and, and I can, I'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, and, then, and then more broadly, how does interoperability actually lead to, to a scalable solution? So you, you mentioned earlier, I mean, how scalability is obviously a big problem in this industry. And, and I don't see these things as being kind of separate topics. I think they're very, they're very much, you know, one and the same because our view of how, how blockchain networks are going to scale is actually that we're going to see scaling across many blockchains. And then, and then, we, and then what we're going to see then is, is this, this very obvious need for, for recognition that things have happened on separate chains. So if you, you look at the ICO market as an example, you say probably 99% of ICOs have launched on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, probably as a factor of the fact that it's the only real operating smart contract enabled blockchain today, or at least, you know, arguably the only one that's that's used or, or capable of doing ICOs. But over the course of the next year, maybe the next two years, I suspect what we're going to see is a, is, a, is a very large shift towards people picking different platforms to, to build applications like ICOs and other applications. So because of the fact that on, on a single network, we've got all sorts of scaling challenges, uh, and every one of these networks has its own kind of view on how to solve for scaling. We have this fundamental hypothesis that you'll never get a single protocol to scale to the requirements of the entire world. Um, because now when we when we think about transactions, it's a very broad term, right? In the crypto markets, a transaction is pretty simple. It's like uh, a transaction is the movement of a coin from one wallet to another or a token. Um, but realistically, in a smart contract system, a transaction is any time you change a state of information, right? So, and right. that can that can be super generic. So, we we start going into supply chains and healthcare and governments and finance and, you know, all of these different areas that you know decentralization and distributed networks are going to become relevant. Uh, transactions go into the trillions, you know, not how how many thousands can you do on a per second basis because that's kind of an irrelevant metric. So, from our perspective, it's how many networks are going to need to exist to solve the world's scaling requirements, and if all these all of these networks need to exist. Like, our, we have a fundamental perspective that we're, we're working towards a world of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of blockchains. Some of those blockchains will be public, and I suspect we'll see like a you know a small group of like dominant public blockchains. But then a very very long tail of you know maybe only a few protocols, but a few protocols multiplied across thousands and thousands of networks. So you go into the enterprise market, you can imagine, I don't like giving them too much airtime, but you can imagine IBM gaining traction simply as a matter, as a factor of their size. And IBM might go and build 100,000 Hyperledger networks, uh, all the same protocol, but all individual standalone networks. And then you know R3 maybe will have some success and, and gain some traction in the financial services sector. Uh, and then there's going to be other protocols like, like ours and others that are all going to you know, find their own niche successes. IOTA focusing on a very particular you know, niche use case. And, um, but the, the, you know, our, our perspective is that regardless, we need to have like a heterogeneous way to connect all these systems. So like, um, one, of the, one of the things that we noticed in interoperability before projects like ours was that interoperability was kind of feasible in two kind of scenarios. One, can I build like a one-to-one -one, one connection between two blockchains? So Bitcoin to Ethereum was a big topic for a while. There was a project called BTC Relay that kind of technically solved how could you verify a Bitcoin transaction on the Ethereum network. Um, but, you know, it was never really all broadly adopted, and it really was like a one-to-one -one bridge. And one-to-one -one is, you can imagine the, 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 the analogy of like, you're sitting in an office with a computer, and if you want to connect to other computers, you have to you have to literally run separate wires from your computer to every other computer in the office. Um, 
or have a wire that connects your computer to a router and have that router connect every other computer in the office if you're just talking about like an internal network, let alone right. like a global network, right? So we started designing on the basis of like, what would a router look like in the system? So Aon to us was like a router, um, a router that needed to be decentralized. So it had to be a blockchain itself, a router that needed its connections. So these wires to be decentralized. So you could not have a single a single entity validating transactions moving between blockchains, because then that entity becomes uh, the point of vulnerability. So when we, we we call this the bridge in our design, the bridge is a decentralized protocol of how do you verify and send signals between blockchains, essentially. Um, so if you have a bridge of decentralized nodes that operate the, this connection, then they also need to be incentivized. So they need to be incentivized to run that bridge. So then you need a coin or some sort of payment mechanism that's not native to you know, any one of those blockchains, but it's kind of native to the space between blockchains. And that's where, you know, the Aon coin kind of comes in is the is the the economic incentive for for entities or nodes to operate bridges. And and so our design focuses on Aon as a blockchain being the router and bridges being built off of that router into other blockchains. Um, awesome. Inside the Aon blockchain, one of the big core requirements was to make sure that if you're thinking about this as a routing system, the router cannot be a bottleneck for performance, right? So um, in terms of how do we design Aon, we had to make sure, for one, the consensus process cannot be minutes to hours of confirmation, right? Because then all of a sudden, routing a transaction across chains is is delayed by that, that consensus process. So how can we get to instant finality on the Aon blockchain? Uh, what type of consensus algorithm would allow us to do that? And if you're getting a large volume of transactions routing through this chain, then how could you essentially create a, a virtual machine design that allows for uh, multiple threads of transactions being verified at the same time? So, so essentially designing for parallel transaction processing inside the VM of our network. Um, and, and the reason we have a VM on our network, because there's other interoperability solutions out there that don't, um, is because we see... A, you know, a, an, an important requirement being that you could actually build applications on the router, on the intermediary chain. And that uh, that application, you know, just like any D app could say, you know, have an if-then statement governing its logic. But the if-then statement might say, if this happens on blockchain A, then trigger this on blockchain B. And wow. have that as like a decentralized application that sits between these two blockchains, essentially. Um, That's very to, cool. So, because if you wanted to build an app today that, that had logic coming from multiple blockchains, you absolutely could build that app. You just have to centralize all of its logic. You'd have to host it on some sort of web server and have an API call into different blockchains. And then the host of that app would become the vulnerability and the security of that app. Uh, so whatever those those applications end up being, we're not all that focused on specific vertical applications. I mean, we've got some enterprise clients. We do some work in financial services and government and stuff that I mentioned. But you know, broadly, we're trying to define this as a very generic protocol so that people can imagine their own use cases. Um, one of those use cases immediately in the short term is a scaling solution to the Ethereum network. Quite frankly, like if we, you know, when we're we're building a bridge from Aon into Ethereum which if you think about it, would allow you to essentially run high volume transaction throughputs off of the Ethereum chain. And if you wanted the final state to be recorded on the Ethereum chain, you could essentially run all of your transactions on a parallel chain like Aon, and then just have like a essentially a final state sent back to Ethereum to kind of be stamped into the Ethereum chain. Um, but then offload the requirements for everybody to be running their transaction volume through a single chain. Uh, and that's going to be relevant in the ICO market just as much as it's going to be relevant in any other market. Because if, if you're if you're like a small cap ICO project today, 
you're like really, really concerned that you launch the same day as like a massive ICO that's going to clog the network or like CryptoKitties right. or 2.0. Crypto yeah. Um, yeah, because then all of a sudden it kills your ability to do what you're trying to do simply because there's there's a bottleneck on these networks, right? So how can we offload some of that bottleneck into other networks? Um, that That's kind of our, our initial view on, on how this all works. Awesome. That's great. And I appreciate the perspective there, especially on the, the fact that, you know, you kind of see, you know, millions or, or, or hundreds of thousands, however many there will be of, of these blockchains, both both private and public around the world, kind of all communicating together. And I think that's definitely a much more practical and a much more accurate approach um, than someone saying, oh, this one blockchain is going to be the, the blockchain for the world, which I don't think is, um, is going to be the case. So I agree with you on that. That's really great perspective. And I appreciate that. Um, I think now that we're getting towards the end of the podcast, I just wanted to give each of you an opportunity to make like a, a brief closing statement. But especially let people know, you know, where they can learn more, not only about the Blockchain Interoperability Alliance, but where can they learn more um, about your platform? So we'll start with you, Matthew, and go in reverse. Um, where can people learn more about Aon? So, I mean, pretty simply, Aon.network um, or on any of, like, our social channels, either on our subreddit or, or we've got a channel on Bitcoin Talk, uh, a Telegram channel, a, a Discord channel. I mean, there's a lot of ways to interact with us. Um you know, and, and, you know, on the on the second topic for the Blockchain Interoperability Alliance, I mean, any one of us as projects is talking a lot about it. And I think there's there's also kind of an organic community channel that's been formed on Telegram about this. Um, and if I just give my kind of final perspective, um, what really excited me about this is we work in a space where there's so many exciting projects happening. Um, but we also are focusing on building our own projects. So it's always, it's always difficult to find the balance between, like, showing your excitement for somebody else's work without like losing focus on your own work. And I have to say like one of my big motivations for the blockchain interoperability Alliance is the fact that like icon and one chain without bias are two of my favorite projects in the world. Um, and this has just been a great opportunity for us to work together uh, without it. Like, you know, getting people to wonder if we're still hundred percent focused on what we're doing at Aon, because we can find this like commonality of why we can work together uh, and, and work with some of the more brilliant teams out there. So, you know, we're really excited about it from that perspective. Awesome. That's great. And, and Min, we'll go to you. Um, where can people learn more about Icon and, and, and uh, do you have any closing statements? Yeah, sure. So first of all, well, thank you for having us. I think it's great that we were able to talk about uh, our alliance to the public, but also giving uh, a project like the Icon an opportunity to uh, talk a little bit more about what we do because, you know, not a lot of people know about the Icon project outside of Korea. So having opportunities like this to kind of explain what we do, talk about our uh, consortiums that are leading our projects are very important to us. So more information can be uh, found at icon.foundation. That's icon.foundation. And uh, right now we are still in the process of relaunching or revamping our uh, the whole website. So, um, you know, I think more updated information can be seen on our blog, Medium blog, and also follow our uh, main Telegram channel. And there's a lot of great discussions. I think similar to other community, we also have some very interesting side uh, support community uh, websites such as icon.support. Uh, icon.support is not actually run by us, it's run by our community. So it's great that some of these organic, uh, you know, things are happening, uh, you know, just just to kind of share some information because we are still growing our team and it's been difficult for us to share everything. So our kind of sort of uh, community members have stepped up and built 
you know, these community websites to, sh to help, uh, you know, spread information. So, you know, be sure to check that out. Awesome. That's great. And, and Dustin, uh, to end with you, where can people learn more about Wanchain? Sure. Uh, we'll, we're also in the process of launching a new website. Uh, it'll be out uh, January. But uh, wanchain.org is where you can go find information about us. Our social links will be there. Um, uh, you know, Telegram, you know, Wanchain, Ann, A-N-N, for announcements, along with Twitter, uh, Discord, Medium, et cetera. We kind of push these things out across all the platforms on a, you know, two or three times a month basis. Um, in closing thoughts, we, you know, I think that there's a, um, I've been a long time disciple of the, uh, the Peter Diamandis, the Singularity University, and thinking a lot about, he, he talks a lot about digitization and the sweeping effects it has. And um, when I, when I learned of Bitcoin, I really saw, wow, this is, I thought of it as the world's first natively digital asset. And um, things that are natively digital are governed by, you know, programs versus people or, you know, are very little ties to the real world. Um, and that really can has profound impacts. When you digitize something, you basically turn it into ones and zeros. And that allows it to hop onto Moore's Law and sort of scale. Um, we saw the impact. You can kind of see impacts of this on uh, the digital photography. Um, and when you when you digitize photographs, that had sweeping changes in the digital photography industry. Um, you also can look at media, digitization of media. Look at what that did for the media industry. And so uh, one of our one of the things we think from a high level about a lot is the impacts of digitization on finance as a whole. And one of the big problems with uh, that currently we we've sort of now we're, we're we're getting a little bit more adept at um, digitizing these assets. But one of the big benefits of digitization is assets can things can move freely. And the problem right now is again kind of linked like you guys going full circle a little bit to the beginning part of this podcast was you know talking about isolation. Um, and right now, the true benefit of these assets of the digitization is not being realized because every all these assets and this information are being siloed on their respective chains. And so I'm really excited to be working with uh, Aon and Icon because this is a really fundamental problem that exists not only for the blockchain industry, but for the world as a whole. Uh, we really see this shift towards blockchain of one is, you know, blockchains are kind of, you can think of them a bit as like trust as a service. Blockchains, if you have a trust problem, blockchains are very good solutions. And we have trust problems all over the place right now. Our whole, whole basically our entire stack, uh, internet stack, is, is really sort of crumbling at the seams. And, um, and you know, you can, you can blockchain enable a lot of elements of this. But it's just like, you, like uh, Matthew was saying earlier, it's just not the case. And, and Min was saying, it's not the case that there's going to be one blockchain that's going to solve all these problems. There are going to be blockchains that rub your, run your web browser, blockchains that run your messaging, blockchains that run your finances. And they all will be purpose-built, but they need to connect. And so I'm really excited. I also echo uh, Matthew's statements. So just big fans of both uh, Aon and Icon and uh, just very excited to be working with the uh, Blockchain Interoperability Alliance to kind of solve some of these fundamental problems for not only blockchain, but the world as, as lar at large. Awesome. That's great. Well, Dustin, Min, and Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I sincerely appreciate it. Best of luck, you know, not only with the Blockchain Interoperability Alliance, but of course, with your own individual projects as well. So thanks so much for taking the time. Thank, thank you. you. Cheers. 
Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. If you'd like to request someone to be on the podcast in the future, tweet us at ICO Alert and let us know. Most of our guests are requests from listeners just like you, so we review every single recommendation that comes through in our Twitter feed. Uh, we'll look at everything. So if there's a lesser known project that you think we should cover, you know, let us know. Maybe we'll have them on the podcast. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and be the first to hear our new episodes. And also, don't forget to check out ICOalert.com to see the only comprehensive list of active and upcoming ICOs. I'm your host, Robert Finch, and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode.